Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Okay, Revelation 19 and Zechariah 14. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that your message would be heard today, that hearts would be prepared. Lord, we long for the time where we get to go to another time and another place because we'll be present with you. We look forward to that, Lord. God, I pray that you would just get us excited today as we hear from you, your message, your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here's my dilemma. I'm going to try to cover a thousand years in a half hour. How do you do that? All right, but uh, I started off each week with a, a reminder to you. Here we are in Week eight of ten weeks. We're almost done. Can you believe that there's an end to the beginning of the end times? Uh, there is. But here we are in week eight. And what I want to do is every week I've, I've challenged you that there's three principles I want you to keep in mind. All right? Now this week I'm not putting them up there because I'll bet most of you could recite them from memory. But just in case, uh, let me just share what those were. The first one was this. I don't want you to take my word for it. I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm supposed to tell you the truth. And I am. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want us to be like the Bereans and study each day. Get into the scripture. And because there may be things that uh, I, I've studied the scripture and that I understand it. That uh, you may study and find something different. Um, and so I challenge you. Don't take my word for it. But study to show yourself approved. Um, not only that. Uh, but we also want to remember that when we look at the, especially when we look into the future, we have to remember we're looking at it from our context. All right, so when we, when we read things, matter of fact, I'll show you something that uh, today as, as I'm going through some of the passages where 10 years ago, everyone would have given one answer. This is what that means. And I, when I get there, I'll share that with you. But uh, I think the scripture is very plain and very clear that that's not what it's referring to at all. And so um, as the years go by, as we look at this, when, when in the 1600s and the 1300s, when they were looking at these same scriptures, they looked at them allegorically because Israel had not been a nation for over a thousand years. And there was no possibility because she had been scattered to the corners of the earth. And so when they read that Israel would become a nation again, they saw that as an allegory, that that really didn't mean that Israel would become a nation again. But today in 2019, not only is she a nation, but just a few years ago, our, our country recognized Jerusalem as the capital, which was a, a critical and pivotal step. And so the context will change as we um, look at it based on when and what time frame we're in. And then the third principle was this, that we are going to use the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
Even though I have kind of walked us through the book of Revelation, um, today especially, uh, I'm going to use a lot of different passages. I hope that you got a note taker with you because um, I am just going to plow through a lot of different Bible uh, books, uh, passages, and verses. And they're all right there in the note taker. And so you could circle the ones, ooh, that was a juicy one. I'm going to go back and read that one. Uh, I would challenge you, make sure that if you, and you get a note taker. If you don't, it's okay. Send somebody now to get one because you'll want to have these in your hands. They're sitting on the back uh, table. Um, because I think that this would be very critical for you as you uh, go forward. If you have a smart device, I would encourage you to open up uh, to Uversion, go to live events. You'll see a little red uh, dot where our church is. And if you tap that, you will see all of those notes and then save that. And you'll be able to go back and check that uh, very frequently. Okay, Zechariah 14. Now, last week, I kind of threw a little teaser in there for this week about Zechariah 14. And so I'm going to pick up right there where I gave you that teaser. And I'm going to read in the book of Zechariah, 14th chapter. And I'm going to start in verse 5. And I'm actually going to pick it up about halfway through verse 5. And it says, Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Verse 6. On that day, now if you have the note taker, you'll see I put at the very top, on that day. You'll see on the uh, slides that um, on that day is highlighted in red and underlined and in bold. And, and, and here's why, because you're going to see this over and over again, because on that day, things changed. On that day, some very distinctives are going to happen on this earth as we know it. And so on that day, there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but an evening time there shall be light. Now, I can't explain this to you folks, but I'm telling you that during the millennial reign of Christ, this is what it's going to look like. It says, verse 8, On that day living water shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summers and winter. I don't know if uh, you recall, but... um, Leading up to this point in Zechariah 14, when we talked about the seven different bowls of God's wrath, a lot of things happened to our earth. All right, One of those, and, and I, I think I shared with you that I believe that this happened over a 30-day period of time, but one of those things was that the, uh, one of the vials was poured onto the, water, the seas and they became like blood. And what did it say? Every living thing in the sea died. But what happens here in um, Zechariah chapter 14, uh, after the earthquake of Jesus touching down, uh, there will be water that comes forward and it actually comes out from underneath the temple. And this water is going to flow to the east and to the west and it's going to um, re-energize those seas that are still full of blood. And everything that it touches comes back to life. Now, Hollywood puts these things in movies all the time, and we don't even think twice about it. The creator of the world is about to do something incredible after he's poured out his wrath and destruction on the earth as we know it. It says on um, verse 9, And the Lord will be king over all of the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. You see, there's not going to be a question as to which God is being worshipped. 
you know, that's thrown out there a lot uh, nowadays is, well, which God are we talking about? You know, and, and they'll give different names of God and are we worshiping the same one? Um, when Jesus Christ comes back bodily, we will not ask that question. There will be one God that will be recognized as one God and he will rule the earth. In verse 10 in Zechariah 14, it says, The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And in verse 11, And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. If, if you uh, flip back to Revelation 16 and verse 18, you'll uh, recall that there was a great earthquake. And um, that great earthquake will literally leave Jerusalem where it's at, at, a, at an elevated position. And all of the surrounding land for 60 to 100 miles will be leveled out like a plain. And the reason why is during the millennium, the nations of the world are going to come to worship God. And there, the only thing that's elevated will be Jerusalem itself. And there, it will be Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in bodily form. Verse 12 in Zechariah 14, it says, And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Now, here's where we use the whole counsel of the Word of God. Because what I want to do is I want to show you what I'm reading to you right now in Zechariah 14 is the very same thing that's happened in Revelation 19. So now, flip your uh, Bibles over to Revelation 19. And I'm going to start reading in verse 11. And it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel, in verse 17, standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with the armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Now, if you not, haven't been following what we're doing, the person sitting on that horse that they're referring to there is Jesus Christ, and that army is those who have been raptured ahead of time, and uh, that is us. See, we won't have to go through the, the seven years of tribulation. Um, we won't have to go through the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. Uh, because we will at that time be at the, the um, wedding feast, which last just happens to be seven years. And at the end of that time, we will all mount up. And if you don't like riding horses, you will in a couple of years. If you don't, uh, have you've never had any army training, it's okay, because God's going to be doing all the fighting. And one of the things I want you to recognize is there in 15 when it says that the sword comes out of his mouth. It, this isn't literally a physical sword that proceeds from his mouth. But it's actually the words that he says. So stay with me here in verse uh, uh, 20. And it says, and the beast was captured. All right, that's the Antichrist. And with it, the false prophet. So these are the two people who were ruling and reigning on the earth during those seven years. 
who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Now listen to this. Now we jump back over to Zechariah 14. And let me show you in verse 12 what exactly that looked like. It says, Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Now, here's where we use context because if we would have read that 10 years ago, matter of fact, you might read that today and there may be people who teach that, well, what is that? That's nuclear uh, armament going off. But see, that's actually not what's happening here because this was the word that proceeded from Jesus Christ that destroyed, that caused that to happen. Had nothing to do with the nuclear detonation. Verse 13, And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. You know, it's interesting that God used this very way to fight against many armies throughout the year that came up against him. Um, Less than uh, 50 years ago, there was a six-day war, and in this... Israel was attacked by three different nations that, were, that had almost ten times the number of soldiers and absolutely more weaponry than Israel had. Israel was a fledgling nation, just a few years old. And what she did have, though, was a couple of aircraft that the Air Force had provided, F-16s. And Israel decided to launch a preemptive strike. She had no way of winning this war, but she launched a preemptive strike against Egypt destroyed all of Egypt's air force. And what was interesting was that day, Jordan, which was the land that if the planes would have flown over, Jordan would have seen the aircraft and would have called over to uh, Egypt and told them to get their aircraft up to, to take them out. Jordan decided to change their radio codes. And so Egypt was working on one set of codes on a frequency, and Jordan was on a different frequency. And guess what? They couldn't talk to each other. And so when uh, Egypt would ask for information, they'd get nothing but static back. When Jordan would tell them, hey, they're coming, the the planes are on the way, they heard nothing over in Egypt. Now, some of us will call that a coincidence or a mistake, and then some of us will call that the providence of God. And so um, not only did we see that there, but in this time in Zechariah, we'll see the same thing happen where they will actually start fighting each other. Here's what's crazy. Israel... The Egyptian army that was lined up to to roll into Israel, when their air force was taken out, they abandoned all of their military equipment and ran physically back to Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, why wouldn't they just turn the tank around and drive it back? See, yeah, that's what happens when God gets involved. People do stupid things. But to us, it's stupid. To God, it's exactly as he planned it. Well, here, I'm here to tell you that on that day, Satan's reign ends. If you go to Revelation 20 and verse 1 and 3, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it, 
and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Ladies and gentlemen, there has been a cosmic war going on since the beginning of time. There's a spiritual realm that uh, most of us have not seen and many are not aware of. But there is a spiritual battle going on in a dimension that, that we cannot experience at this point, but in our glorified bodies we will know what it's all about. And, and what's sad is that as Christians many times that we're not aware of what's happening and we start focusing and, and worrying about things that have absolutely nothing to do with the battle that's happening. Well, if we keep on going on to the premise of what is going to happen on that day, not only is Satan going to, his reign going to come to an end, but on that day Christ's reign begins. I want to show you in Daniel, and so now we've seen Zechariah, we've seen Revelation, we'll see in Daniel in chapter 2 in verse 44, and it says this, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. This is the passage where Daniel is giving the dream back to Nebuchadnezzar, and he talks about the image and the, the four different kingdoms that are coming. And the last kingdom that's coming was Jesus, God himself sending his son to rule and reign forever. If you fast forward to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 21 and 22, you'll see this actually happen. It says, As I looked, this horn, that's the Antichrist, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. If you recall in Revelation, those very words were used. That the Antichrist, that the beast would, would wage war against the saints and he would win and he, he would destroy them. Verse 22, Until the Ancient of Days came. And the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, that's you and I. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, if you have asked Jesus to be your Savior, one day you will be doing exactly what we just read about here in Daniel chapter 7. You will possess the kingdom. But see, as Jesus gets in and starts his reign, he has some co-rulers. Isaiah 32, 1 tells us this. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Who are those princes? It's you and I. On that day, the apostles are going to rule the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, he said this. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter what you see in the news, no matter what you hear on a podcast, no matter what you read about, I'm here to tell you that Israel is not going anywhere. On that day, the church will rule the Gentiles. Revelation 20 and verse 4 says it this way, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
Now, if you go back and you, you see that, it says that John saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Right now, when somebody dies, that's exactly what they, they are not in their glorified body. That does not happen until the rapture, but their soul will be present in, in God's presence. And that's what John is seeing. And then these are, they come back with us on the horses and will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says it this way. And what I'm doing is basically Revelation 20 and then Revelation 5, and I'll continue going back into Revelation to show you where this promise has been made to the church. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. You see, the victory is ours. It's already been won. When you struggle in your daily walk, this is that cosmic battle. The victory, you have the victory. But it's easier said than done sometimes as we walk through this life. From every tribe and language and the people and nation, you and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Turn over to Revelation 3 and verse 21 and 22. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Right now, at this moment, Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne. And he will sit on that throne, and through the seven years, he will be the one that is calling out judgment upon the beast and upon the false prophet and upon the earth. On that day, the curse is going to be reversed. In Genesis 9... In verses uh, 2 through 4, let me just read that to you very quickly. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. This is happening uh, in Genesis chapter 9 right after the flood. This is what God is telling Noah and his sons. Because before that time, all the animals ate plants. And it was after the flood that animals became meat eaters. But in the thousand-year reign that Christ is here on earth, that's coming soon to a city, country, nation near you, Isaiah 11 verse 6 says it this way, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when it says that, it's not just talking about the humans that are on the earth, but all of creation. Things will be restored to what the Garden of Eden was like. On that day, the earth is going to be repopulated. It's not going to happen overnight in one day, but uh, through the thousand years, people are going to have children. Those that, uh, and here's what it says in Isaiah 65, verses 20 through 25. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Probably one of the hardest things as a parent. To have a child born and within hours or days to lose them. He says that's not going to happen. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. Nothing more tragic than to see a young man in his 20s or 30s lose his life. 
says, for the young man shall die at a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. You see, um, I don't know if you've ever read through Genesis, but when it talks about the, our, our fathers, Noah and his children, and uh, Ab- Ab- uh, I'm sorry, Adam and, and his kids, they usually didn't start having kids until they were 90 to 100 years old. And so now we think that somebody, when they hit 18, they, they, they're a man. Uh, in, the, in the millennium, it'll be just like it was back in the Garden of Eden, when, right after the earth was created. And when people hit 90, they'll, pro- they'll, they'll finally get mature. Now, we, we joke about the fact that kids' brains don't stop developing until they're 25, um, and maybe that's what happens. It just won't start, stop developing until they're 100 uh, in the millennium. Verse 25 kind of repeats what we uh, saw earlier, and it says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. If you ever want to stump some of your friends, uh, many people will talk about the lion and the lamb together. Uh, it's always the wolf and the lamb. Uh, so you, you could pull that one out for them. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. It's two different books of the Bible with the same exact forecast of what this earth will be like. And on that day, the fourth temple is going to be built. If you would, open up your Bibles to Ezekiel, the 47th chapter. Uh, if you have not done it, you owe it to yourself to read through many, many of the chapters of Ezekiel. I would encourage you, if you go into Ezekiel 37, you'll read about the dry bones and how that Ezekiel preached to them and they came back to life. That was a prophecy of the nation of Israel that was going to be barren, going to be sent to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then one day that they would come back together as a mighty nation with a mighty army. Today we see that prophecy fulfilled if you go into ezekiel 38 you're going to read about a time where russia and germany and turkey are going to come against the nation of israel i think that's not too far away if you come to any of our uh, going deeper bible studies uh, it, it, you look into today's headlines and you see that right now there are more russian troops stationed in syria than at any time in history Right now, they're taking uh, Russian armament, the, the best, the good stuff, and they're putting it into Iran. Right now, Germany and Russia are working on a contract uh, over oil. And what's interesting, remember I talk about context. If you go back 20 years ago, the, the nation that was identified as Gomer, theologians, try to make this fit, would, would say, well, that's Turkey. But if you do any kind of study, you'll know that Gomer, his, uh, and his descendants, went and established themselves along the Rhine River. Anyone know where the Rhine River's at? It's, it's, that's right, it's in the country of Germany. If you continue to read through Ezekiel, you'll, you'll find out that, um, I think in about chapter 40, he starts talking about the fourth temple. There's going to be a temple built. If you look at the size of it, it, it it's nothing that's been built before. It's not what happens in the, during the tribulation period. It's not the first or the second temple. This temple is enormous. It's massive. And, and I don't want to read all of those chapters, but I want to take you to chapter 47. Remember how I started off and I shared with you in Zechariah that water would flow up and it would flow out to the rivers and it would repopulate? Well, here is that river. And it's interesting how God explains it in, to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel in turn tells us, 
Ezekiel 47 and verse 1, it says, Then he brought me back to the uh, door of the temple. So he's walked them around the temple and showed him everything, what it's going to be like in the millennium. How that in each of the four corners he gave the dimensions, and that's where those who are alive, not us in our glorified bodies that are going back and forth, but those that live on the earth that, re, that, that survived, that remained, they will come to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. And then in each of the four corners, that's where they would boil their animals, the meat that they had offered up. It's interesting. I hope you read that. In verse 1, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he also brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faced toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So a thousand cubits out, it's ankle deep water. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen, it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the... Um, Arabah and enters the sea. Listen to this. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Now remember, this is the, the water is it's blood right now. There is no living thing when this starts to happen. And whatever the river goes, or wherever the river goes, verse 9, Ezekiel 47, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, and that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Can you imagine this? This is the, the in, water as we know it has been turned to blood. Life as we know it has been unbearable. Jesus Christ comes back, and when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, there's an earthquake that has never been experienced before on this earth. And water, fresh water, starts coming up from underneath the temple. And it starts just flowing just as a trickle. And you go out a thousand cubics in every direction. And you're ankle deep water. And go out another thousand and it's knee deep. And another thousand and it's waist deep. And another thousand you can't swim. That water is going to go and replenish all of the waters of the earth. And where is it all going to come from? Right there in God's temple. The fourth temple. Well, not only is all that going to happen, but on that day, animal sacrifice will be restored. Jumping back to Zechariah in chapter 14, let me read verses 16 to 19. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem. Now remember, this is where the eyes melt in their, their tongues and the flesh falls off of them. Well, there are going to be people of the nations that, that weren't a part of the militaries that came against God himself. Those are the ones that are going to survive. Those are the ones that are going to live. There's the, the remnant of the Israelites that have been um, hidden in, by God miraculously for three and a half years. They are the ones that are going to be alive. And it says this. 
Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of the hosts, to keep the feast of booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Now, have you ever gone to the store, and I've noticed this, that on uh, dryers, like if you've got a hair dryer, they've got this warning label on it. And it usually says, do not use this in the shower. Now, why on earth would they put a warning label that says, do not use this in the shower? Because somebody used it in the shower and, and hurt themselves. God has... He's, he's given this warning right here in Scripture, and he says that all the nations will come to offer a sacrifice to Jesus when he sits on his throne. And the ones that don't, can you believe that there will be nations that don't? But there will be. And the ones that don't, says there won't be any rain on those nations. And if any of the families on the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. I got a feeling Egypt's not going to be a happy camper. When all of this stuff happens, when, when Jesus has established his throne, when the new temple has been built, when this water has replenished the whole earth, and for a thousand years every year, each of the nations would come and they would offer a sacrifice. At the end of that thousand years, Satan is going to be released. If you turn over to Revelation 20 and verse 7 through 10, let me read that to you very quickly. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Now, why would they be at the four corners of the earth? It's because that's the farthest you could get from Jerusalem. And those nations that decide not to uh, worship God uh, will get as far from his throne as possible. And it says, Satan will be released from prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And here's what happens. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. As I wrap up this message, I want to do so by sharing with you a Bible story and three observations from that Bible story. I'm going to read the Bible story very quickly in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. It says this, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. You ever wonder what happens to somebody who dies now that is saved? They have an armed escort. The rich man also died and was buried. This isn't a parable. This is Jesus telling the truth. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. It's interesting that even 
he still wants to look at Lazarus as the poor guy that sits outside of his gate. Tell him to go get some water and bring it to me and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Listen, but Abraham responds. He says, Child, remember that, in, that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. You understand that before Jesus died on the cross, that those who died and died without Christ and those that died with the belief that the Messiah Christ was coming, they could actually see each other. And the Bible says that there was a great chasm put there because those that had died with Christ would want to help them. But see, once we enter into the first death, it's too late. In verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse 29, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, as much as we want to believe that if somebody came back from the dead and they told everything that's already in this Bible... God himself has stated very emphatically that if they can't accept this scripture, they wouldn't accept that person who was brought back from the dead. So here are the three points that I would like to leave you with. And that's this. Number one, that there is a cosmic war that's been going on since the Garden of Eden. We, don't, we can't see it. We have a hard time understanding it, but it's going on. The Bible tells us in Isaiah eleven nine 9, it says, For the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. Right now, this knowledge of the Lord is missing. People don't understand. They mock, they ridicule. While God is putting judgment on them, they will curse Him. And they don't understand who God is. They don't understand why things happen on this earth the way they do. But I'm here to tell you, it's not for us to understand it, but us to accept it with childlike faith. Because I'm here to share with you that eternity is way too long for us to be wrong on this. And so the, the reality is that you are either on one side of this cosmic battle or on the other. And it has absolutely nothing to do with you, your abilities, who you are, how you were born, what you've accomplished. It has to do with whether or not you've accepted what Jesus Christ has said. And that was that he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead three days later. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father. And so here's what I would want to, I want to encourage you, church, that we need to start majoring on the major things. It is too often that we as Christians, that we focus on the wrong things. We focus on the little things. We worry about somebody hurting our feelings. We worry about somebody making us angry. We worry about somebody not speaking to us. We worry about how people sing a song. We worry about what t which version of the Bible they have. We worry about so many different things. And what God wants us to worry about is the cosmic battle against Satan himself. And we allow Satan to use these itty-bitty items to divide us. And we start doing Satan's bidding. If we knew that we were doing this, if we knew that we were a part of this cosmic battle and that we were helping the enemy, we wouldn't do it. 
But friends, I'm here to tell you that we let our flesh, we let the way that we feel impact us. And folks, there are going to be people, there are going to be friends, there are going to be family members that spend an eternity in hell because we did that. Second thing I want to leave you with is this. Make sure your salvation. You know, if you've ever flown anywhere across, the, in, in America at least, they always start off with this. If in the case of an emergency, put your oxygen mask on first. Folks, I'm telling you, there's an emergency about to come. Today, you have an opportunity, if you have never done so, to, to literally take the mask and put it on. Let me ask you this. If you were flying, if, we, if all of us were on the plane right now, and I t- could tell you that in seven minutes, this plane is going to start going down, and I push the button, and I put my oxygen mask on, you know what the response would be? Many people would say, oh, that's Pastor Ronnie. He's a fool. I don't know what he's doing. Some of you might trust and say, you know what? I think that's not a bad idea. But here's what it says. This is what they tell us when we fly. First, put the oxygen mask on yourself. Then what do we, who do you help? You help those that are beside you. So folks, today, do not leave this building without knowing 100% sure of your salvation. Because if you do, it doesn't matter who else on that plane has their mask on. Trust me, you will not be thinking about that the rest of your life, the rest of eternity. The reality is this. Are you ready? Are you ready to one day stand before your creator? And folks, if you are ready, I'm here to share this with you, that there is nothing you could possibly do to justify, to exonerate yourself. The only hope that you have is to fall on the grace and the mercy of God, sending his son, Jesus Christ. The third point I want to leave you with this. Who would you warn? See, the rich man, he wanted to warn his five brothers. He said it this way, I have five brothers. Please go warn them. Think about this. If people can live for a thousand years under God's reign and still rally behind Satan, it's difficult in this day. You have friends and relatives and neighbors. You've heard us talk about this. It's called the Who's Your One campaign. North American Mission Board has introduced this. This is a phenomenal resource, church. We have these books and these these bookmarkers sitting on the back table. I challenge everyone today, before you leave, grab one of these. Join us. On August 30th, we're going to start, and for 30 days, we are going to be praying. Now, you may say, I got more than one. It's okay. Take more than one. Put more than one name down. But you know what? The the simple reality is this, that most Christians don't even pray for one. We don't. I will not embarrass anybody by asking, when's the last time that we witnessed to somebody? But the reality is this, that if you've got your oxygen mask on, don't leave your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, those people that you like and dislike. You would not wish this on your worst enemy. 
Church, who's your one? A little over a week ago, I had the opportunity to watch a grandpa share with me about his one. Where he had been talking to his great-granddaughter about spiritual things. And he called me up and he says, I think she's ready, but I want her to talk to you. So just across that wall right there, got to pray with her and great-grandma and great-grandpa. And in a couple of weeks, you're going to see her get baptized. I can think of no greater joy as a parent or a grandparent than to be able to lead our children and our grandchildren. But folks, it doesn't stop there. We shouldn't let that be the thing that, that finishes or completes what we want to do. Who's your one? I'm going to lead us in prayer and Tony's going to come up here and they're going to sing the song that of invitation. And here's what I would ask you. I'm going to go to the altar today. I would encourage you. And if, if you are not healthy enough, come sit on the front row and pray for your one. If you're healthy enough, join others as they come to this altar and lift up that name, those names. This is much too serious. It's coming a day. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that you will now work on hearts. God, if there is someone here that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, that they will not leave without stopping and talking to me and allow me to show them the way. Lord, for those of us who have put on our oxygen mask, who have, by your grace and mercy, have asked you into our heart that we now have the eternal security of salvation. God, I pray that you leave us here on this earth not to, to survive another day, Lord, but to spread the message, to allow your gospel to go forward. God, I ask that you, you've told us in Scripture that where two or three are gathered together, you, you hear us in the prayer. God, there are many more than two or three here today. Hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.